Yes, we're back with another rider, another episode. Today, today we have Sherry in the house and she's many things from the legal side. From the legal side, she's filming herself. One of those people. Make sure you hold the mic up close This to is the best taxi ever, guys. I've come in and I've done a whole interview because he's got a podcast. And she's a lawyer, she's a carer. She, she, her core value are children. She's helped more children probably just as much as me in a better way that we're just going to find out about her so nice to have you here today Sherry thank you thank you so much so Sherry what kind of person you were you when you were in school oh oh okay so I fell out of school in year 10 okay because I had some dysfunctions at home if you're asking my old secondary friends about me they'll probably say I was rude a little bit of a Let's say I was sure of myself. I knew who I was and I knew my core values from early, but I was still caring. What are your core values? Because you're the first lady <laughs> or person who I know, someone taught me about core values. Sure. And she always used to talk about what is core values. She used to bang on that for about a year and a half. And it took about a year and a half for me to register what she was talking about. Then it took me about six months to realize what my core values are. So now, before I tell you mine, what is yours? My core values are things that are non-negotiable, irrespective of time, presence, what society's notions are. My core values are love with honesty, be truthful, stand strong in who you are, use your life experiences to turn, use your life experiences and turn them into leadership qualities. Those are my four main core values and pillars. Okay, that's interesting. I have five. First one is children. Uh-huh. Obviously come from children's home. Then the other ones aren't in any particular aren't in any particular order. Yeah. So you have Same. religion, yep. self-improvement, yep. work ethic. Yep. And what's the fifth one? I can't remember one. Family. Okay. Love that. Uh but children first. Love that. Because I think children first even before religion, because religion is about looking after your neighbour. I agree. Yeah, people say it's about worshipping God, but I think you worship God by looking after the things he's created. Agree. I don't see... When somebody says religion is worshipping God, but for me, I'm not religious. I grew up as a Catholic. I went to a, a Catholic school with nuns. And along my journey and during that time, my gran was spiritual, which I resonate with a lot more. And I feel it creates less division. Mm. And on my journey through religion because i guess that's how it starts right you're baptized from young you go to a school whether it's catholic or protestant but for me i found that spirituality also helped me to connect to my ancestors so those who'd come before me and laid the pavements down so mm. yeah they're kind of interchangeable but i think at some point in your life you will start with one and explore the other or vice versa Okay, so what was Catholic school like and was that in England? Or it was, America? it was in the United Kingdom in Elephant and Castle, I went to Notre Dame. I actually had a good experience looking back. It was very strict, I liked discipline, I liked, I liked things with focus, so I enjoyed that. It was very grounding and I guess it gave me a lot of my core principles as well. Love was focused um, in our school, respect. At the time it was religion. So our school, obviously, is a Catholic school with nuns, very religious. Every religious occasion we would celebrate in school, but that created togetherness. I think the only thing in school which I found really difficult, I think, on reflection now, is that because I went to a same-sex school, 
I think that was a bit challenging on well, reflection. Well, lots of bitchiness. Yeah, I just feel like because I grew up in a male-dominated environment, I wouldn't say idealised, but I like the way how men lead. I like the way they kind of just get straight to the point. There's less emotion involved in some topics. And I found in secondary school, there were topics that were being discussed that just had too much emotion in it. It just kind of needed to get to the point. So, mm -hmm. yeah, just women are too emotional. Too emotional. <laughs> too much. That's why they can't rule well, the world. Well, glad you said it. Yeah. <laughs> can't. They could be good advisors, but definitely can't rule the world because they would press that button long time ago to blow everything up there's based on their emotions. There's an old joke. I said this to a feminist before she got very upset with me, but I'll say it again. It goes, if women would rule the world, there wouldn't be world peace. Agree. There'd just be a bunch of countries not talking to each other. I agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with that. Uh, she didn't like that. She said, you're going to get a one star for that. No, I agree. Yeah? Yeah, I agree. Yeah, no, I, I think we all play our roles in society and yes. I, I don't devalue women. I see that they are the things that, you know, they're delicate and they have to be because they they're in tune with everything i mean we're the balance to men right because yeah, men are yeah. just so simple sometimes a bit too simple and cut through so we are the balance we're yin and yang we need each other yeah. but no one is more important than the yeah, other yeah. but in terms of creation we definitely come before you guys we are the pool gene to greatness we, we are <laughs> we we carry mother earth in our womb you know yeah. we populate but so remember you get given that though Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Without nurture, being able to I nurture the seed, we can't do it. There so. is a reason. Yes. Women and children first in every case. Yeah. There is a Agree. reason that. Agree. Whatever society. Yeah. And there is a reason that we always protect childbearing and our offspring in that yep. manner. And that's why I'm going to say that's not a religious thing. I think that's more spiritual. That's to do with just love. Because irrespective of religion, you have love. And that's why, as you say, irrespective of what society you're in, women and children come first. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. I think <laughs> with religion, we all talk about the same thing. But, yeah. But, but it's just different. La like you have different languages, you have and different forms. And human by nature like to group up anyway. So it's just a way of people grouping, belonging to a group. Mm. So, yeah. Don't take religion too serious. What? You left school. Mm -hmm. uh, you said at 10. Did mm -hmm. you get any GCSEs? In or? year 10, I left school with no GCSEs. And... A lady called Maureen Lynch, she was friends with her daughter called Monica Lynch. She owned a private nursery in London Bridge and Monica was bullied one day on the bus in school and I defended her on the bus and that later became my blessing. When I had left school, her mum reached out to me and she offered me a job in her private nursery to work until I'd kind of want to work out what I was doing. I stayed there for a few years and I left. There was an opportunity in The Guardian for ethnic minorities to become involved in supportive housing, probation officer, was it supportive housing, probation officers, drug and alcohol. I picked supportive housing. This was my first route in to education because I'd left school before year 11. So I didn't leave school with no GCSEs. I was predicted 12, but I, didn't never, I never sat my exam. I became a mum at 18. Mm -hmm. And then that opportunity had sprung up in the Guardian newspaper, I read it. I grabbed the opportunity with two hands and then I later qualified. So that was my first qualification, community justice level three. And then I hit the ground working. So I worked in Stunham Housing for a number of years. And then I applied for like my first real job outside of my NVQ placement. And that was at Eve's Housing for Women, working with traffic and prostituted women and mental health. 
I loved it. I think at first when I joined, the team manager gave me all the so-called difficult clients. But because of my background, where I'd come from growing up in the estate, the people they were afraid of were the people we was used to. So the drunks, the people with mental health, we were used to those. So I got on quite well with those group of people. And my team leads would call me in one day and she was like, tell me a bit more about yourself. So I just shared some of the obstacles I'd gone through in life. What were those obstacles? So when I was 13, my mum was sentenced uh, for drug trafficking, 13 years. I didn't tell the school because I was scared of social services, social care, because mm -hmm. culturally we'd be, you're yeah, always yeah. told like, don't tell them your business, right? Yeah. So I didn't tell them. So what happened was I was presenting as like disengaging, challenging the teachers and stuff. And then I just woke up and said, I weren't going back. I just never went back. My grandmother, interesting enough, we didn't go into care because my older sister had sent for my grandmother from Jamaica to come and look after us. So she looked after myself and my younger brother. There's 10 years apart. My mum's got three kids and my sister's 10 years older. Where was your dad at that time? At that time, I think my mum and dad was going through a divorce. So he was like kind of back and forth, but he wasn't the main carer for us because my dad has a lot of children. My dad has 21 kids and okay. he comes from a very interesting background as well. So it definitely wasn't going to be a stable background for us. So my grandmother had come over to look after us didn't go to school and then fell in love and I think at that point in my life I thought I had everything I guess because of all the traumas that I'd went through so it was like what else is there to see I became a mum and then that whole emotion when I was giving birth was something I'd never felt before but one thing I did know I didn't want my daughter to feel the pain that I had felt so I was determined to make sure that I would outperform my parents and anyone from my background or my community like I just had this desire to overachieve so that's what made me explore the NVQ opportunity when it come up. I'd qualified in that. And as I said, I, I went on to work at Eve's Housing for Women. Um, I sat down with my team manager one day and I was just like, how come everybody gets more money than me, but I outperform them? And she was like, they've got a degree. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. That led me to look into studying. So I went off to study, I'd done social work first. Probably by the second year, I hated it just wasn't what I thought it was and then I, I went on to uh, qualifying psychology family and behavior therapy leadership management level five law and then I kind of just went on from there went on to be a probation officer qualified got my social work degree worked as a social worker hated it um, so you sound like you've been studying for years I'm coffee. still studying as we speak now I'm a lifelong learner mm. I like to I like learning I suppose yes. that's the thing about life in general. It is always about learning, feeding off other people. That's what this podcast's about. People hear your story and it enhances their life. Even if it's the bad points, it still enhances their life because they learn not to go down the roads that you took or to go down the roads that you took. Yeah, I think, I mean, if we had to like wrap it up because we don't always have forever. If I said to somebody, my big advice is, and it's like my tagline for my homes, is just turn your life experiences into leadership qualities. Like you can use those as pillars to your foundation and business. So for me, you know, I know people were aware of the journey with my mum, what happened with my mum. They're aware that, you know, had my times of trouble, etc. So in terms of starting a business, it was like, what could I do that needs my expertise from my life experience, but also how can I use my life experience as like something public that you can't later use to shame me, if that makes sense. So being able to found the UK's first service working with girls exiting gang lifestyle, serious violence and criminal exploitation 
was something that was easy for me to do because I understand the organised crime world, I get it. Loads of people who were growing up in my area was involved in that. So me creating that service was easy because it was using the things that people normally scorn about or they judge you for. Those were the founding pillars for me to say, I have enough experience to do this. This is why I'm qualified. Mm. Unfortunately, if you went to study social work or criminology, you just wouldn't have that life experience to match me. So mm. the difference between me and someone in this room is I have the life experience and the qualification. Most people focus on either the life experience, right? And run away with their stories or they just do book smart and they don't have the qualifications. I made sure I had both so I could relate to the academic world when I'm advocating for these groups of people, but I can also still relate to these groups of people because I come from there. Mm -hmm. So I can also be a beacon of light. They can't use that excuse of, yeah, but I come through this, I went through that. Okay, yeah, my mum's been jail, <laughs> you know, high tariff crime. I've had some challenges myself. What's you, the excuse? Are you and your mum on good, good terms? Of course, I love her. I've always okay. loved her, of course, I understand. You know, when you become a mum, you understand the decisions you make, but I was always close to my mum. So it's not like something happened and I was confused. My mum's always been very open. Is she in England now, your mum? She's in Jamaica now. Okay. So again, the story is just literally like a movie. My mum um, was later deported. So she had her citizenship revoked. So a lot of people have this assumption that like deportation is if you're in the country legal. It's not how it works. If you're in this country and you you're here and you declare you're here but you haven't naturalized then at any point if you offend and a crime that is over 12 months you'll be subject to a UKBA border force check if you haven't sworn in so you're here you still have like your Jamaican passport etc if you haven't naturalized so swap that to say British citizenship and you okay. commit a crime and your sentence is anything over 12 months then you could have your citizenship revoked and sent back to your country because technically you didn't abide by the law of the land uh -huh. so my mum experienced that because that was also going on during the time that been 80s yeah 80s, uh, 90s, 90s. so that happened during a time where jamaica was having discussions with the united kingdom because there was loads of high tariff crime drug trafficking murders etc so the uk and jamaica at the time had spoke about setting up this arrangement so where you have this outcry now about people talking about mass deportation it's been happening for a while it's just not been happening in the masses because it was things that people never spoke about because there was that stigma of shame do you think that's wrong though yeah i feel like when a family's been settled here for a period of time and they've established themselves then how could you rip them out into a community they don't know my mum wasn't my mum left jamaica in her like early 20s mm. she'd spent more time here than she'd spent in jamaica mm. so technically she's gone to a foreign land so yeah and i think the psychological trauma as well should be looked at that i mean if you say you punish people and they spend their time if they spent their time then it's almost like repunishing them again some people may say being devil's advocate sure that the person who committed the crime has caused the issue do you see what i mean yeah i think i could have a balance where i'd say if it's murder fine and don't get me wrong you can still play double advocate because some people would say well distribution of drugs sometimes you know down in a chain scale yeah, I, someone could overdose right i wouldn't buy that i wouldn't buy that because from someone who's never taken drugs the amount of people who've come up to me to ask me to buy drugs <laughs> they want to buy drugs from me assuming because i'm a black man yeah, in a white yeah. environment 
I know it's their fault more than the dealer. No, no, no. Do you know why I threw that in there? Because same way how you play devil's advocate, there's some smart ass that would say that. So yeah. I'm just saying, and for yeah. me, the rebuttal would be, first of all, that would have to go through several hands for that to have impact. Does that make sense? Yeah. My mum wasn't a street dealer. So it's not like my mum was getting that and then she would yeah. be cutting up and serving to individuals. Does that make sense? Yeah. I'm not taking away yeah. the impact it has, but just to show there could always still be an argument for that. But yeah. I still, I'm human and I'm somebody's mum. So I'd like to put myself in the shoes. You know, if somebody from another country international was here and had murdered my daughter, how would I feel? I think I'd feel bad regardless of where they're from. I think, from. yeah, I think once they've done their time, that would be it for me. I would then want to have mediation with the person at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think just throwing somebody back because you don't know the circumstances you're throwing them back to. You don't know somebody's journey here, why they left. And if they've done their time, they've done their sentence, it was fair and it was just. You don't double punish somebody. I um, would say this on the personal note. Yeah, sure. Because of the whole 300 years of slavery mm -hmm. and England not claiming responsibility. Yeah. As I've said, I've been in the military before. And when we come out of the military, they tell us that the time we spend on the battlefield and training to be on the battlefield it's a minimum of period of time it's going to take us to get back to To normal. rehabilitate, that's correct, yeah. Now, they say minimum. But at the same time, they say when you go home, don't shout at the kids, kick the dog, yeah, and make love to the wife till you love her, spoon with her. Yeah, don't be aggressive, yeah, because they see they recognise as all those dysfunctional family issues that occur. Yeah. So now, if you throw three hundred years of mistreatment and a couple of hundred years of second-class or third-class citizen, yeah, that is an area of the whole Caribbean of trauma. Of course. So that should be taken into consideration but obviously the powers that be are not interested in that of course but that's why i would say it separate us from the other countries in the world in that in that case do you know what transatlantic trauma do you know why i feel do you know why i just don't speak on that because i just know they don't care because they won't give the apology they won't even acknowledge it and if they're not going to acknowledge it, you're not going to get the apology. Mm -hmm. Do you understand? And I don't want to be operating in a place of pain. For me, I come back with, okay, cool. I'm going to eat all the free resources that I can. So when people ask me, why do I study so much? I just try to reap what I can because they're not going to give us what we want. Every other group has had their needs addressed before us. We had people protesting for the two dogs the other day that were shot by the police. That is addressed before we're talking about racism. This is serious. We've had the trans community's voice heard before us and trans is something that's only kind of rampant up in the last seven years. We've been talking about racism for over 200 years. They're not listening. Mm -hmm. They're not listening. Mm -hmm. And I just feel when it comes to that, it's kind of individual, individual development that leads to a collective. So let me give an example. I read Condoleezza Rice's autobiography mm -hmm. and I'm, I'll never forget it. She refers in one of the chapters that her dad, he's an academic man, used to teach locally and run the church as well. And when the black groups used to go out and protest, they weren't allowed to go out. And her dad said to her, unfortunately, those in the streets are not going to be listened to. But if we upskill ourselves individually, 
and empower ourselves in the place of where we can make change, then you'll have a better chance of making change than standing on the street and protesting. Now, I'm not saying protesting doesn't have its space because we've had protesters in the past that's gone out on their feet, you know, our ancestors that's done the work on the ground. But that has to work simultaneously with another strategy. So yes, we're on the ground and we're chanting, but we need a set amount of black people to upskill themselves and get into the medical field. We need a set amount of, yeah, we need a set amount that goes into law and doesn't focus on just doing criminal law. They want to be barristers, judges, QC, does that make sense? Yeah. And I know those hurdles are there because I can hear somebody going, yeah, but they discriminate us. Yes, they That's make it 10 times harder, but you can still achieve because I have. So it's just having a collective strategy. The trans group, the gay and lesbian groups, they've made lobby groups. You know, what I say to our people tomorrow is, okay, if they said they're giving us reparation, who does it go to? Mm. What's the official group? Do you get what I mean? Yeah, who is the appointment? Right, <laughs> right. They're not gonna, do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Cause they're not gonna, it could be easy. Obviously you just distribute it up to people's NIs. Do you get what I'm trying to say? You identify who they are, but they're always gonna have barriers and you've got to look at the blueprint. The lobby groups are the ones that get the best results. Who represents our lobbying group? Who are they? Who are the ones that are writing the papers about the psychological effects that's having to us? We know it's there. We've got loads of academic research, but where's the pressure groups? Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. I can't, I'm 39. I can't wait another 20 years for this to happen. So what do I do in the meantime? I try and as an individual upskill myself and put myself in positions where I'm so-called not meant to be, right? And oh, then when yeah. I get there, I open a door and try and bring another two or three with me. I think there's different battles you fight different ways. Agree. And I think for them in the Caribbean, they need to just stop stop the nas national resources being sold to them to give into the West. Just the same way Africa. Africa and thing they all need to work as one. I think what I, I would like to see is I know they have like CARICOM where all the kind of Caribbean islands are like kind of seen as one, but it has no weight, right? I would love to see Caribbean, Pan Africa, like everybody unite as one and have a world dominance you can see it happening because i was there in 2019 when the president of ghana came to jamaica mm -hmm. to announce free visas i got to you know witness that beauty but looking at the other stuff that was going on the other fight the stuff that bin laden and gaddafi was trying to put in place the currency backed by gold this should be done by us as african caribbeans mm. because we've got the world resources you know um, what, what i've learned but again, how do we do that? From my life, if certain people only listen to power, false. And I would say we need a military more than anything. Oh, I definitely agree on that. Okay. Do you watch politics, watch? No, I don't watch TV. It's um, not, it's a podcast. Oh, it's a po okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, I said watch that. So yeah, you would assume that's visual, my bad. Yeah, he talks about that actually. That's his main focus. He talks about actually strengthening Jamaica's military force first because you can't. Well, it's not Jamaica. Um, you, you want, um, no, no, he focuses just on that country because he reports on that. So, just given that example, he's saying you can't develop the country if the military infrastructure is not strong. Okay, yeah. Um, and he explains why, how that then trickles down onto the ground. So, it's a good it's listen. It's called Politics Watch. Politics Watch. Oh, politics. Yeah, I'll okay. show you the details after. Oh, that's good. 
That's interesting. So how did you get, you started to run children's homes? Yes. Tell us how you started that. So when I started CIS, which was the floating support service in the UK first for females who perpetrate, I realised that my work sometimes would become undone because the women have to go home. They come from disorganised backgrounds, chaotic homes, and lots of them always wanted to come to my house to stay. They never wanted to go home. And then I thought, okay, how could I... Your busy then. No, I had to adhere to my professional boundaries. Okay. Unfortunately, if it was up to me, they would have all been in my house. Yes, but I'm aware of professional boundaries. So I thought, okay, how else can I provide wraparound support for them? And that just led naturally to the children's home, which are 24 hour staff. And that means I get to be with them all the time. I get to influence much more areas that I couldn't before. So for example, I couldn't influence diet. I couldn't influence sleeping patterns. I couldn't influence behavior and expectations within the home. Cause obviously I wasn't in their home, but with them living with me or living in our homes, then we get to frame all of that and shape them mm. more long-term. Floating supports only 16 weeks work, right? You can only do so much. Mm. Children's home is from the day they come, you know, until the day they leave at 18. Pending, there's no circumstances where they have to move or anything like that. So how many children in your children's home? I've got 31, 32, 31, 32 children. Uh, I have 16 children homes. Is it? Yes. That's good. All over London? No, I have not one in London. They're all out of London. I suppose it's more affordable. More affordable and I wanted the children, especially those who, most of my referrals come from London. I think all of my referrals, I wanted them to come away. I wanted to show them a different lifestyle. I wanted to influence their future thoughts about where they live. Mm -hmm. You can't do that if you don't see it. Young people are very visual. They're not like, tell me, they're like, show me and tell me, you know, or tell me and show me. So mm -hmm. if I tell you something and show you, more likely to have a greater impact. I'm with you. That's, that's really, I'm really happy for you and what you're doing. I'm, Thank you. Yeah, it's good. I love it. It's um, good. Yeah. I love it. I adore it. Yeah. It's the best, to me, it's the best job you can ever have working directly with people. Where you get most satisfaction when you see the children and they're thankful to you. I get satisfaction when they leave and they just pop up and say thank you or they just come back and tell you a little story and they're like oh yeah I was talking about you because of this and you kind of reflect and you're like oh my god he was listening when I said the plates should be put away don't leave them on the dish drainer or you oh, know so coming clean you have boys as well. no I have boys and girls yeah so the service that I first started focused on women but then naturally I gravitated I mean the formula works for men and women and then of course I was working not working we had a prison program myself and Nathaniel Pete who owns the safety box um, in the jails and I just notice I just work I think I work better with men than women to be fair because of my delivery so the homes uh, covers boys and girls okay that's so I, I have more boys than girls actually okay I have more boys and girls that's good what have you learned from your whole life experience that hmm. you wish you knew when you had started? It's okay to be the quiet one in the room. Life really doesn't start until you're 30. Take your time. Everything that you see now will still be there 10 years later. And eat up as much free education as you can. I wish I was the nerd when I was growing up now. That's the winning formula. Being popular and being known and knowing everybody, somehow I just can't see how that has benefited me. 
in any way. Um, if anything, it's made me withdrawn. <laughs> um, because the more successful you become as well, you want to not be seen. So that's definitely it. Be easy to yourself, but make sure you've got a life plan from young and execute it. Well, if you get it right, you can retire early. Thanks a lot for that. Thank you. <laughs> Where can people find you? They can find me on Instagram at Johnson28. My website is www.sherriejohnson.co.uk. But most importantly, before all of that, the children's home is www.sanctuary16.co.uk. And if you forget all of that, just go into YouTube and type in Sherry Johnson and Stephanie Taylor. Thank you. We hope that episode enhanced your life. We post an interview every day as well as vlogging on our social media channel. Don't forget to subscribe to get our latest episode.